What's your game, Mr. Addison? Live fast, die young, leave clean underwear. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Hello and welcome, Moonlighting fans, to Moonlighting the Podcast. Hi, Shauna. Hi, Grace. How are you today? I'm doing really well. We are up to Season 2, Episode 3, Money Talks, Maddie Walks. This episode first aired on the 8th of October, 1985. It was directed by Christian I. Neby II. It was written by Glenn Gordon Caron, Kerry Erin and Ali Marie Matheson. Guest stars, Mark Lono as Ron Sawyer, Alan Blumenfeld as Charles, Tony Giorgio as Tony, Rick Fitz as the cop, and Anthony Gordon as the maitre d'. The synopsis of the episode, Maddie learns that her ex-accountant has started a new life in Argentina and bought a casino with the millions of dollars that he stole from her. She is determined to travel there and confront him against David's advice. When she travels there, she approaches her ex-accountant, Ron Sawyer, but soon finds out she won't be getting her money back. David arrives in a timely manner while she is drowning her sorrows in the casino restaurant at the expense of Sawyer. The finale involves a poker game in which Sawyer loans her $100,000 to play. Maddie stakes everything she owns on the game, her car, her BMW and the Blue Moon Detective Agency. At the end of the game, David convinces her to fold and they leave the room. Maddie then returns to the room very curious as to who had the winning hand. She finds out that she did, in fact, have the winning hand. Furious that David told her to fold, she leaves David stranded in Buenos Aires with no money. I just want to talk a little bit about Christian Neby II. He directed this episode. He actually directed seven episodes of Moonlighting, Big Man on Mulberry Street, All Creatures Great and Not So Great, Yours Very Deadly, The Man Who Cried Wife, The Bride of Tupperman, Atlas Belched, and Money Talks, Maddie Walks. He directed a lot of the Perry Mason TV series, but the funny thing was his father, Christian Neby, he was a director and film editor as well, and his father was 
film editor on the original Perry Mason. Mm. So his father, Christian Neby, was credited with 17 feature films between 43 and 52, including The Big Sleep. Now, The Big Sleep starred Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, and his father was the editor on that. And guess what? It was a Howard Hawks film. No way. Yes way. How funny. Yeah. And oh. from 53 to 75, he mainly did TV series, including Gunsmoke and Wagon Train. But that mm. was his father. Our director here, Christian Neby II, in 1963, the Air Force sent Neby to Vietnam as a photographer. Four years later, he landed a job as an assistant director. His first directing job was an episode of Ironside in 1967. In the years since, he's directed television movies and episodes of many television series, counting his Hill Street Blues episodes from 1981 as his favourites. So he was kind of following in his father's footsteps there, huh? Yeah. And the last thing he directed was Murder 101 in 2006. Hmm. Yeah. So that was a bit of history on Christian Neby. But we'll see a lot more of his episodes in the future as we discuss them. Yeah, he directed some of the really great episodes. So Big Man on Mulberry Street alone. Another favorite for sure. I mean, Dream Sequence, um, Big Man. Mm. And My Fair David is probably another one. Uh, Atomic, of course. Those are like the most talked about episodes. Yeah. All right, Grace. Money Talks, Maddie Walks. Let's get into the episode. The episode opens with Charles at his desk writing his suicide note which, you know, you can read part of it. And in typical, I think, Glenn fashion, I mean, how can you make comedy out of a suicide note, right? But as he's writing the letter, the pencil that he's using, the lead breaks, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So it's just, uh, you kind of do start off with some comedy, like, wow, you can't even write a suicide note without, you know, the the pencil, you know, (laughs) supporting you, you know? (laughs) That's so good. Yeah. And, um, I think there's a couple of clues that we're supposed to know this guy. He has money. Obviously, he's not happy. He's writing this note. But the initials on his shirt are very prominent, kind of giving us a clue that this is a guy who's well to do or a businessman or, you know, something like that kind of makes us curious, like, you know, why he's so unhappy. And we'll soon find out. Yeah. And we never actually find out what his occupation was, though, do we? Yeah, that's true. He takes off his shoes and tie and he opens the window gets out on the ledge and great shot. Like I actually get anxiety watching it because (laughs) it's like watching the pilot when she was on the Eastern building. I know. Yeah. It does remind me. And it looks like uh, that's that same area of town. It's probably off of uh, Wilshire Boulevard because that's a very long street in in Los Angeles and it goes straight through downtown. So yeah, it it does remind me of, you know, that same area of the Eastern building and all of that, but Yeah, I agree. Great shot of him. It's very believable that he's out there on the ledge. Terrific and scary at the same time. Then Maddie and David walk out of this office building and she looks terrific. They both look great. She's got a beautiful apricot outfit on. Yes. The outfit we'll see again in Knowing Her, by the way. Mm -hmm. I I, I really like that outfit on her. I like how it kind of connects um, down around the waistline. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful jacket. Yeah. It's she looks lovely in those pastel colors. Yes, she does. And her hair looks great. I made note of that. I mean, she's beautiful in every episode, but just the two of them, (laughs) 
they each episode they seem to get more beautiful at this stage of moonlight yeah they just complement each other don't they yeah and I love her hair parted down the middle her hair and makeup here in this opening part is great and they get straight into the fact that they have gone to visit the owner of the chicken licking stores in California (laughs) Um, yeah yes and because she was angry with him about a question he asked the owner She's told everybody in the elevator that he's got contagious hepatitis. <laughs> he has to run down the stairs while she takes the elevator because they wouldn't let him in, I guess. I want to know how he yeah. caught up to her then. Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. He was fast on those stairs. And typical moonlighting with him chasing after her, you know. That's right. Yeah. We get a lot of typical moonlighting in this episode. Yeah. And he's got a good question. Haven't you ever wondered what happens to the eyes, the beak and the feet? I know. It's it's just something I don't want to know the answer to. But yeah, (laughs) but he asked it. Yeah. And it's funny because when I was a child, (laughs) sorry about this, people. (laughs) But my mother used to cook the feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, we used to eat the feet. Yeah, not the eyes and the beaks, but the, the feet. Well, here, you know, in China, chicken feet are like a delicacy. I mean, people love it. And then um, they're walking down the street and people are calling out, oh, no, don't jump, don't jump. So they both look up and there's a guy on the ledge and he's up pretty high. So I don't know whether she would have actually recognised him because he would have been, from what I can, not that I looked, actually I didn't calculate, but he looks like he's on the 10th floor or something. That's true. How would she really recognise him? But, you know. She's looking pretty hard up there. She's shielding her eyes and looking up and maybe she just, he's stuck in her mind and she recognized him. Bruce has the best line here. Good. We didn't miss the floor show. (laughs) (laughs) I know so bad. Flippant, very flippant. And talking about his, you know, $100 Italian belt and he loves the belt and he's talking about his $500 silk shirt and how caterpillars had to spin their behinds to make it. And he's offering his clothes to the people downstairs. And Yeah. You're not and having this shirt. Just, You're as portly as, as sure as I'm standing here. He's kind of portly, though, which is kind of funny, you know? Yeah. He's a bit portly, but yeah. But again, how can you add humor into someone, you know, committing suicide, right? It's him interacting with the, the people below, you know, saying, you're not getting in this shirt and, you know, and just kind of interacting with the crowd below. And so... It was great writing to bring comedy into somebody thinking about killing themselves. Yeah. There's not many ways you could do it, but Glenn's no. writing pulls it off. And Carrie Aaron and um, who was the other writer? Allie Matheson. Okay. Carrie Aaron and Allie Matheson. Yeah. Um, and they wrote, if I remember correctly, quite a few episodes of Moonlighting. But Carrie Aaron writes the morning show currently. So yeah, just a great writing, you know, no matter who it came from. But it, some of it sounds like his typical humor. And then David says, this guy's watching a lot of shows that aren't listed in the TV guide. Yeah, I don't really get that joke. Hmm. Do you? No. Maybe he's, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't totally get that, but that's okay. I'm sure, I'm sure a listener will explain it to us. Yes. Addison, I know that man. Addison, I know that man. That's okay. I'm your friend too, and it doesn't make me want to end it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's always got a quick one-liner, doesn't he? That is so funny. So then she um, says to the police officer, officer, I know that man. And uh, he's like, come on, 
you know, yeah. like, is this how we handle a crisis? You know, we just pull in any old person off the street and let her, <laughs> <laughs> let her go up and try to talk to him, I guess. I mean, I mean, I guess it's kind of believable, but it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, they're trying to say the psychologist will be here in 10 minutes or something. Like maybe you can kind of, you know, if he's your friend, talk some sense into him. It's just a funny thing. Like, I know that man on the ledge. Oh, okay. Come on. Yeah, sure. No worries. I actually noticed a goof in this cut when, and the camera's from above them too. So that's a really good shot. What happens is the camera's looking down at David and Maddie. Two police officers arrive behind her. Then the next cut, it's only that one police officer that says, oh, okay, come with me. Okay. So two arrived, but then there's only one. Yeah, all of a sudden the other policeman disappears. Yeah, interesting. All right. And I have a feeling that this guy who plays the police officer is in another episode or shows up again, you know, in another role. I'm not sure, but. Well, from from my records here, it says that he's only been in one episode of Moonlighting. It is possible he's been in another one and you recognize him, but he may have been unaccredited. Yeah. All right. Well, then the next shot is uh, them, you know, in that building um, coming out of the elevator and Maddie kind of rushing towards the window. And as she gets to the window, she changes her mind because she's thinking, oh, my God, I'm not going to do this because what if I say the wrong thing and he jumps? And, of course, David's perking her up. Yeah. You know, no, you're not. You're not going to say the wrong thing. She's trying to walk out and he's going, yeah. wait, wait, wait. And she's going, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. He's very encouraging to her. You know, you're not going to say the wrong thing. That's me. I say the wrong thing, just like he did in that meeting a few minutes right. ago. Yeah. She always right. says the right thing. He's going to go out there and do this great. I love his encouragement. You know, he's always encouraging her, honestly, mm-hmm. you know, and he's yeah. really good support for her. Then she goes towards the window and he goes, but whatever you do, don't take your shirt off. <laughs> yeah. Don't you take your shirt off. Yeah. And then, then that you, smirk. And then just, you get uh, the smirk. That's right. I love it. Yeah. They just really highlight that smirk, you know, must've been being talked about at the time. And, you know, they highlighted it there for a minute. That was pretty funny. That was great. Classic Bruce smirk. And another great shot with Maddie coming out the window. I was getting vertigo seriously watching this because, wow, it's amazing. It looks so good. Yeah. The whole street, you know, laid out uh, behind her. That's right. And Charles doesn't recognize her initially. Right. Yeah, and then he finally does and goes, Oh gosh, Maddie Hayes, what are you doing here? As if as if they're just sitting in a restaurant, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. She's like, What are you doing uh, here, Charles? I know. What are you doing here? Yes. Why are you in this situation? Yeah, it's a great interaction between them both. And you uncover a little bit of history of them both that they used to know each other before they reached their success. And of course, he's telling her about all he's trying to kill himself. He's smoking and drinking, but it's, you know, it's taking too long. And she's, yeah, that would take too long. (laughs) But she's trying to tell him, I know what you're going through. And he's going, no, you don't. Yeah. So they go through that interaction about, well, she's broke too. And, you know, but (laughs) I just love how he says people couldn't even tolerate him when he was rich. No one's even going to talk to him now. I know. I know. Yeah. I can't do broke, Maddie. I can't do broke. (laughs) That he was like almost intolerable with money, you know, and people had to deal with him then, but no one's going to talk to him now. That's when they both realize, he he realizes, he said, were you a client of Ron Sawyer too? Yeah. 
she's like you too. Yes. And so now Maddie knows that um, they've had the same experience with this accountant that took all of her money, which we know all about from the the pilot episode. Mm. And now the wheels start turning in her mind. And especially when he says that he knows where he is, you know, Sawyer's in Buenos Aires. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she has no concern for his welfare at all. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Suddenly it turns to all about Maddie and, you know, what happened to her reminding her. And yeah, she just kind of leaves him out on the ledge, you Mm. know. Yeah. Come join our Facebook community at fans of Moonlighting the Podcast and our Instagram community at Moonlighting the Podcast. Yeah. But however, before that, she was taking on David's role about this is a wonderful opportunity for a new life for you. It's a new start. You know, you don't have to do this. And she goes, I'm living proof. So anyway, there's a great lot of info in this scene, considering it's quite a short scene about their history of lying on the beach in cans and binging on Cheetos and playing Monopoly. So I thought that was interesting how she was being the optimistic one for once about this is great, a great opportunity. You can start again. And he wasn't having any of it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a good observation. She was taking on the David role and showing the glass half full side of it. And we get a glimpse of more like the human, ordinary girl side of Maddie, her past out of work model eating Cheetos, you know, which I personally like the reference of because I love my Cheetos. (laughs) Um, <laughs> one of my favorite snacks. So I was like, oh, I can just picture Maddie playing Monopoly and eating Cheetos. So yes, a lot of good insight to the character, seeing her to take on that more positive spin, like you said. So yes, short scene, but very insightful. And then she's trying to say to him, well, you know what? Were you really all that happy? <laughs> and he's like deliriously so. <laughs> yes, deliriously so, yeah. Exactly. All right, all right, then jump. <laughs> Bruce is on the inside going, that was very moving, very touching, especially the part about the Cheetos. I think he was, you know, yeah, he was happy to hear that because he's like, oh, he knows a little bit about, a little bit more about her history and what she got up to. Yeah, right. You know, because I think he's always so infatuated with Maddie. It humanized her a little bit for him probably too. And, of course, he says it again, like he did in The Next Murder You Hear. Is this girl a great closer or what? Is this girl a great closer or what? Yep. In that exact same tone and everything. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. And then Maddie asks, where's that psychiatrist? And David says, won't come up. Afraid of heights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So much irony in this. Anyway. Not, yeah. It just never stops. You know, it's just like one just silly thing after the next, right? <laughs> David says the bird man of Alcatraz is making his move. So, and Maddie goes, sorry, Charles. And she thinks he's going to jump, but he's actually moving back because he started thinking about what Maddie had just talked to him about, about their history. And, you know, it's an opportunity and he wants to talk to her again. And he sort of says, well, tell me about the Charles you knew. And he was a survivor. Yeah. And this is where it's all uncovered, where someday we're going to find this Sawyer bum. And he goes, what are you talking about? I know where he is. He built a casino in Buenos Aires. And then she screams. He nearly falls again. He's like, what are you yelling for? Do you want me to kill myself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything kind of starts to take a turn. You know, it's no longer about him and his suicidal state. It's about this new information and, you know, 
turning towards what happened with Sawyer and where he is. Yeah, this guy is such a great actor. He was so good. Alan Blumenfeld. So basically, in the end, it even gets so they're so unconcerned about, you know, him and his suicidal state that the window closes and now he's kind of clawing to get inside and they're walking away and and he's kind of like, let me in. (laughs) With you know, a few minutes ago, he was out on the ledge and about to jump. But yeah, so I guess Maddie, her words helped. Yeah, except she left him out there. Except she turned, you know, towards herself. She turned everything um, about her at the end, but that's okay. (laughs) That's the beauty of moonlighting. That's the humor of it. I would have liked to have seen more of him. Yeah. I don't know whether he would have, you know, gone with them or I don't know. I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him in this episode. Yeah. And maybe, you know, when we get to it, we'll talk about the very end tag scene at the end. which to me doesn't make a lot of sense, but we'll get to it. But maybe he could have been in her office there talking to her about what happened in Buenos Aires or, you know, yeah, get some update on him or something. Yeah. He's a great actor. Like you said, he plays that role great. And it would have been nice to see him again in the episode. Charles is played by Alan Blumenfeld. He was born in 1952 in Rockville Center, New York. He is five foot eight and a half inches tall. Alan is one of the most recognised and hardest working character actors in the business, having appeared as a guest star on more than 300 television shows and performing in several dozen films. Yeah, he's a face that I recognise, but, uh, you know, one of the character, these character actors that you recognise their face but couldn't pinpoint what they've been in before. Now, his career begins back in 1983. Um, and look, he was in War Games as well, the same as Simon. Yeah. And what a surprise again, Remington Steele. He was in two episodes. Um, Who's the Boss? Cheers. Hill Street Blues. Oh, Hill Street Blues. I haven't recognised him. I'll have to check that. He only had one episode of Moonlighting. The main ones I recognise are Growing Pains, Twilight Zone, The Golden Girls, Family Ties, Matlock, Roseanne. Oh, yeah. Law and Order. He did three episodes of Becca. One episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Gilmore Girls. Mm. He did an episode of Mad Men, uh, Rested Development. He has 188 actor credits and looks like he's still working. There's something still filming at the moment. Yeah. So Yeah, some of those, like I said, he's been in everything. So I definitely recognize his face. I've seen him in other things for sure. Anyway, that is Alan Blumenfeld. That's our Charles. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Well, now we um, get some car talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Maddie's asking him, where's Buenos Aires? And he's like, I don't know. Where did you leave it? <laughs> yeah, great car talk. I love this, this banter. Yeah. It's a really good discussion about Buenos Aires and whether it's over there or down there and she's not sure where it is. <laughs> yeah, I love that pointing out, you know, most people are like, oh, you know, if you had to point it out on a map, like, where is it? Yeah. Um, and a lot of overlapping dialogue, trying to hear, you know, what both are saying at the same time. He's trying to get her off the topic, really. He doesn't even want her thinking about going there. And she's saying directly, I'm going to go there, David. Yeah, because he knows that she's not going to get her money back and her going there is just going to hurt her facing the person that did this. Although on the other hand, it would be good for her to get some closure, but ultimately the accountant is not going to give her money back. So, Yeah, but I also think David, yes, he's definitely thinking like it's a waste of time to go there, but also he doesn't want any situation where Maddie's not going to be with him, you know, like if, if somehow she got money back and her situation changed and they didn't have the agency and all of that anymore. Do you think it's any part, any part of him is um, thinking that or because right away, he's just like, yeah, but anyway, um, forget, you know, forget that. And what does he say? He says something. um, Oh yeah. He says something interesting. Like when she says Buenos Aires, you know, where's Buenos Aires and all that stuff. She's talking about like going there and David, part of their dialogue, he says, uh, what do you say that we get out of here? Well, no sense in dwelling on the painful. What do you say we get I'm out of here? I'm going down there, David. You know, he starts saying that to her. It's like, get out of here and what? It's like he's trying to get her mind off of it right away. Maybe we can get out of L.A. or something. That's kind of what he's suggesting. Isn't that interesting? He can tell that she, her her mind is going towards she's going to go to Buenos Aires, you know, and like try to get the money back or whatever, confront the guy. And he's just really, from the beginning, trying to totally distract her from even thinking that you know, oh yes at the like, beginning he says that at the beginning how about we and then she cuts him off yeah he says what do you say we get out of here and you know and then she's but she's just determined he's trying to talk her out of it she's determined to go so i mean i think it's more that david knows that it's a waste of time for her to go down there but also i think david fears the situation changing at all where they wouldn't be working together because he needs that Maddie, David? I think what you're experiencing is a normal emotional reaction to the news that this man is using something that used money. to belong to you for his own purposes. However, I think if you I'm consider there, the realities David. of flying down to Buenos Aires and confronting this man, you'll see it's him. not a rational thing to do. Then I'm going to kill him. Then after that, I'm going to kill him again. There would be so many reasons why he's totally against this. He wouldn't want her to go. He would want her to be around. He would be concerned for her safety in a strange country. He doesn't know this Ron Sawyer guy. He doesn't know what he's like. He right. could be a nasty piece of work, not a little worm that he Right. Is. Going to another country and confronting someone, that, that can be a scary thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're right. He's probably thinking, wow, if she gets her money back, I'm out of a job. Yeah. And, and I she'll won't, leave. And I won't see her again. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we're back at Blue Moon. And again, she runs straight in and he's following her. Book me on the first flight to Buenos Aires. Agnes says, right. And... He says, dial slow. And she goes, right. Just like she did in last week's episode. Right away, right away. Dial slow. Okay. I see. I always thought he said dial zero. No, dial slow. And the only okay, reason I know that is that last year sometime it was bugging me. I thought, what the hell is he saying? Because he sort of says it under his okay. breath. So I put the subtitles on. Yeah. Okay. Put me on the next flight. 
Get to Buenos Aires. Now, whether that's in the script, I don't know if it's something else, but on the subtitles it says dial slow. Okay, got it. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, staples of moonlighting with uh, her rushing in, him chasing her to her office, him sitting on the corner of the desk, and the overlapping dialogue again of all the reasons why she shouldn't do this. Let me talk some sense to you. That'll be a first. That'll be a first. Yes. What was yours? It's gone. Don't you understand? Kiss it bye-bye, will you? Thanks for the encouragement. I'm just telling you the truth. Isn't it enough the guy bamboozled you? Now you got to go down there so he can laugh at you? He's not going to laugh. Oh, yes, he is. He's not going to laugh. Oh, yes, he he's is. He's not going to laugh. You're right. He's going to roar. And what I want to know is, what is she filling her briefcase with? Is she going to take paperwork there? It looks like she's packing the paperwork to take with her. Yeah, right. What would she be bringing with her from Blue Moon that would help her in Buenos Aires? Maybe she was going to work on the plane. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I like it when she opens her drawer and he lifts his legs. <laughs> I know. It reminds me a lot of the nanny because the nanny used to, used to do that with Mr. Sheffield. She'd sit on the side of the, oh, really? on, the on the on his desk and talk to him. It's so funny. Uh, um, and then, yeah, so she's kind of um, gathering her things and, you know, trying to race out of the office and then, more staples of moonlighting he blocks her yes he blocked her way twice it just blocks her blocks her way and you know he goes do you think they're out of casinos in las vegas why do you think he's gone to south america you know yeah you know he is trying to talk some sense into her he is right but if she knows where sawyer is it would be hard not to go there and try to do something as usual you see kind of both of their points of view but he's doing everything he can to try to stop her. And then it turns into a big fight. Yeah, she's on her way out and she slams the door and comes back yeah. in. Yeah. I think that's our first door slam. I think it is our first door slam, indeed. Yep. And, you know, with him saying, things are tough all over, kid. Ah, yeah, she gets so mad. And, you know, to the point where she's screaming at him and um, Agnes and he are just looking at each other like, whoa. Agnes's expressions are priceless. Yes, she always has that perfect, like, child, innocent look on her face. She never really wants to take sides. So she's kind of standing there, but she's commiserating with Mr. Addison. But, you know, (laughs) she's not stopping Maddie. She just observes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she's she's our observer. You can now go to coffee.com slash moonlighting the podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash moonlighting the podcast and buy yourself a door slam. Yes, that's right, a door slam. Some devoted moonlighting fans have contacted us since we began this project to find out how they can support us. As you are well aware, Shauna and I do this with great joy and we have so much fun creating this podcast every week and interacting with you guys on social media and via our fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com email. So we would be ever so grateful for any small donation that you could make. Maddie would be proud. And there's a scene here where the subtitles, I know I keep talking about the subtitles now, I don't know whether they're taken from the script or whether it's a transcription or what, but when she says, I hate thinking someday, and she goes, I hate that, and I hate this. Yeah. In the subtitle, she's supposed to say, I hate thinking someday, or today, but she doesn't say that. She slips Mm -hmm. through that and goes straight through to, you know, I hate that. Anyway, it's just something I noticed. Okay. 
yes, I, I noticed that she kind of, like you said, blurs the words into the mm. next sentence. Allison, I hate this. I hate not knowing where the next client is coming from. And if the next phone call is going to be somebody angry at me because I haven't paid a bill. I hate having to balance my checkbook every week and get it right. I hate having to stop and think every time I use my credit card. I hate shopping for the best bargains. And I hate seeing something I like in a store window and having to think someday instead of today. I hate that. And I hate this. Yeah, so she's determined to get out the door. He's given up. Things are tough all over, kid. Then you see Agnes's face. And then, okay, go see if I care. And he, I'm going. yeah. So I don't know what you think about this scene, but when he walks back in, he just sort of gives Agnes a funny look and walked in. It would have been better, personally, this is my view, that after she, after he's yelled at her down the corridor, he just comes in and slams the door and walks off. Instead, right. he walks in and just gives Agnes a funny grin. Did you find that strange? I did. I don't know if I found it strange. I think that he was kind of embarrassed, maybe, that he that he yelled at her. He slammed the door. You know, she slammed the door. She left him standing there. Yeah, I think he didn't know how to react. You know what I mean? Yes, of course, you know, and probably like later in Moonlighting, he would have just slammed the door and like barged to his office. But um, I don't know. Yeah, the grin is a little bit strange, but I think that he's just a little bit embarrassed, like, oops, lost that one. And a second door slam because she slammed the door to like stay in there and fight with them. And then when he, he said, see if I care. And then he slammed the door behind her. So they both got a door slam in this one. Yes, they both slammed the front door. Yep. So there's two. And that, yeah, that here we are, what, nine episodes into the entire series. And it's our first door slam. It's unbelievable. First door slams. Yeah, which is really funny. I never knew they started like a little bit later in. Okay, so the next scene we have Maddie on the plane on her way to Argentina. Um, And she's dreaming of Sawyer. And her dream is interesting because he's still got his mustache because obviously that's how she remembers him. But her hair is all teased and big. Yeah, and even uh, even when Maddie's on the airplane and she's falling asleep, she's got a different outfit on. Okay, fair. But her hair is also different there. It's parted to the side. When she was in the office, um, it was, you know, down and smooth. And um, on the airplane, it's parted to the side and kind of curly. And then in her dream, it's all teased and parted, you know. Yeah, so she's got three different hairstyles going on here. <laughs> and it's interesting um, how she dreams. Is that how she sees herself? You know, like with the hair and he compliments her and in her dream, she's hoping this is the way it'll go once she gets there. Yeah. So I wrote with her dream, she's in charge. He's groveling. She's smug. She's got the money in her hand. He's just paying her compliments and, you know, saying, can I still be your accountant and things like that? You know, yes, she's very much in charge in the dream. And I think that's definitely how she is hoping everything will go. One other thing that's um, kind of funny in the dream is she slaps him across the face with the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's her way of getting back at him. I've got my money back and I'm slapping you with the hundreds, you know. I know. Yeah, it's a bit comical. It's like a Maddie slap, but with the money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she didn't have a door to slam in his face, so that's close enough. If she doesn't have a door to slam, then then she slaps someone's face or stomps on their foot. (laughs) that's right okay so yeah so you see the plane land and 
for a split second, you see this beautiful girl and all she says is, Welcome to Buenos Aires. She just had the one line. But how gorgeous she is. Oh, yeah. Very. Her name is France Mayotte. And she is an actress that's known for Hair in 1979 and Hunter in 1984 and then Moonlighting Mm. in 1985. So as far as credits, those are the only credits I could find for her. Okay. Which I don't understand because she's absolutely gorgeous. I know. Yeah. wonder what direction her life took after that. Now, we're back in LA and Agnes is coming out of the elevator and you see her classic shoes that she wears and she pulls up her socks. How perfect is the music in this scene? Oh, my gosh, I know. The dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. It is perfect. And I just love that, you know, it's the a twist on the, what we normally see is like Maddie's, you know, determined, confident heels coming out of the elevator. Yeah, the contrast of Agnes's, you know, more cautious feet coming out. It's, a, it's really a fun kind of mirror image. Yeah. Yeah. She walks out, she pulls up, her socks are wrong, she pulls them up. She's holding a jacket, yeah. she's holding a bottle, she's holding the paper for Mr. Addison. She's yeah. got her keys around her neck. She has a schedule and she sticks to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just found the music terrific. It's just a perfect match for Agnes. Yeah, I know. And, I loved it. Yeah. And also when she opens the door, comes into Blue Moon, turns the light on, Alf Clausen did a great job because he matched the music to her movement again, just like he did mm. in The Next Moody You Hear. Mm. So she comes in, yeah. goes around her desk, opens the cap, puts water in the flowers. Mind you, she puts a dash. She doesn't even put any, hardly any in there. But anyway, um, and as yeah. she puts the knob back on, she slaps the knob with her hand and the music mm. goes along with it. That is great. So good. Yeah, he was amazing. The music adds so much. But my question is too, why is she bringing water to feed the plants from Mm. home instead of using the water from Blue Moon? But then I thought Mm. after that, she leaves the bottle at the coffee machine. So maybe they don't want to use the bathroom water for the coffee machine. Would that be right? Yeah, we could see that. Makes sense. And also when she goes to turn the light on in Maddie's office... Where she goes to yeah. turn it on, I don't know whether there's a light switch there, but anyway, I just find it amazing. Yeah. In all American shows, you turn a switch on and not only do the lights turn on, but the lamps turn on as well. That's amazing. <laughs> all the lighting's connected <laughs> in TV land. <laughs> yes, and so she kind of opens up, you know, this is Agnes's routine we're watching, like you said. I mean, she opens up Maddie's office. She's got the water by the coffee. The, the plant has um, has been watered and she collects the paper. And yeah, this is like her morning routine. So we're, we're watching the opening of Blue Moon and kind of opens Maddie's doors, you know, to display the office, even though she's not there, which is a nice touch. That's funny too, because normally when Maddie shows up, the doors aren't open. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, maybe it's a visual cue to the audience, reminding them that Maddie's not there. Yeah. If we're coming back from a commercial break, maybe it's like, remember, she's gone. Yeah. She's on a plane. Yeah. Um, and then she makes her way over to David's office. So she walks in and she's quite shocked to see him because she's always the first one there. Yeah. He's never there that early. 
Yeah. Hi, Agnes. What are you doing here? Standing. <laughs> Again, I love the scenes between David and Agnes. Yeah. You know. Yes, it's, this one's a great one. So good. You know, have you ever been here this early? And she goes every day. <laughs> but of course, he wouldn't know mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, he has no clue. Great sunrise or something like that. It's a great dialogue between them. He's trying to cover up the fact that he's so upset that Maddie's gone. But at the same time, as usual, he does his job by trying to look at the positive Mm -hmm. side for her benefit. Everything's good. Everything's okay. I've been working hard this morning, putting out some fires, tying up loose ends. (laughs) So he's putting on his macho image that everything's okay just for Agnes. Yeah. But, you know, as he says, wasn't it great before What's-Her-Name showed up? Good times, a great gig. Agnes is like, no cases, but it was great. You remember how great things were before What's-Her-Name showed up? Miss Hayes? I mean, was this a great job or what? It was. Good people, good times, a great gig. No deadlines, no arguments, no pressure. No cases, but it was great. So in other words, I'm on to you, buddy. I know what you're doing. It wasn't great. We didn't have any cases. You've had a much better time with her than you've had without her. So I'm on to you. Yes. (laughs) All of this is just such a great scene and so much, again, with the character and insightful, you know, into how he's feeling and what Agnes always knows. You know, Agnes always um, knows the truth. But we can kind of guess that David probably couldn't sleep. He was up early. He decided, oh, you know, might as well. Like, yeah, a little restless, a little bored. She's gone. What does this mean? You know, you can just almost see him at home like, "Ah, I can't be here. I'll just go into the office. And, you know, gets in there earlier than he ever has before and thinking like what he says to Agnes is been depending on other people for a while. He's a little scared. He's a little scared. Like, what if I lose her? What if she doesn't come back from Buenos Aires? And he also says, she didn't even ask me to go with her. Yeah. And then when he says that, Agnes goes, what's her name? Oh, what's her name? Yeah, exactly. You know, the one that you don't care about. (laughs) Yeah. Real Um, real subtle Agnes, but she's mm -hmm. smarter than people think she is. Oh, yeah. She's, I mean, she knows Maddie and David. She reads into their feelings and moods so well. You know, she always knows really what's going on with them. So, Mm. yeah, David kind of hurt here. You know, we're seeing kind of a wounded Addison, but very true to character with his bravado that he puts on. It Mm. reminds me of the trilogy later in, you know, in the series. He's just like that. It's very true to character, acting like all is well. He's fine without her. Who needs her around here anyway? Business as usual when that's so not what he's feeling. And I really like the look he gives Agnes when she says, oh, yeah, no cases, but it was great. He looks at her like, oh, you're on to me, you know? Yeah. It's Agnes's subtle way of telling him things without, because you know what? She calls him Mr. Addison. She really respects him as a boss. So she doesn't yeah. want to say to him, listen, buddy, you know, I know what you're on about, you know, but instead all she has to say is a couple of words and he's already worked it out. He knows that she's onto him and she's doing it in a nice way. Yeah. She knows that he's a sensitive guy underneath and that she has to be careful, you know, to protect his ego. But she always lets him know that she's onto him. He asks her what time it is and she says now it's 7.31. But of course, <laughs> did you look at the clock on his desk? <laughs> I saw that. It was a quarter to six. Quarter to six. (laughs) And that was supposed to be one of my trivia questions, Grace. Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. Yeah, well, the whole time thing is funny because he said he got in at 7.20, didn't he? 
And then yes. what time is it now? And she says like, I think she says 7.28. 7.28. Yeah, 7.28. And then after it, you know, it was 7.31. Okay. Then it was 7.31. But the desk clock says 5.45. Yes. So um, they got to start matching the clocks in the offices with the times that they're announcing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they never seem to do that. I'm just guessing that the clocks are set to whatever time it actually was in life. Yeah. Don't you think? Probably 5.45 p.m. that day. So now he's just trying to decide what magazines to put in the in the lobby. <laughs> and you know what? She's still holding the paper that was delivered. She hands them over to him, puts them on his desk, and she says, for what it's worth, I miss her too. They become family. So that was that was a lovely scene between them both. Yep, and insightful. So Maddie has arrived. She's in her hotel room and she's getting dressed for success. Yes, we see Maddie getting all dolled up. She flips her hair. She's putting her lipstick on and then she does that updo. You know, she her hair ends up in the updo that she always does when she's going out dressed up for the night. Her hair was like that in every daughter's father is a virgin when they meet her parents for dinner. And her hair is like that in an earlier episode, the episode with the SRT, uh, Read the Mind, See the Movie. Oh, yes. Um, she, yeah, when she's had dinner with yeah. Kristen Holt. Yes. So this is Maddie's, what she does with her hair when she's like really dressing up to go out, <laughs> which isn't my favorite look. What do you think of the hairdo? Well, my question was who did her hair because she couldn't have done it herself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. So she does look beautiful. I mean, we always prefer her hair down and I suppose for where she was, she was dressed to impress, even though she doesn't want to impress Ron Sawyer really, but she wants to state, I'm a successful and strong woman. That's what she wants to portray to him once she sees him. Yeah. So she enters a casino and the music to Debarge comes on. You wear it well. Well, actually it was before that. Yeah the music that plays while she's getting ready and all of that. And then as she walks into the casino again with her dress cut down to South America and she and is she, in South America. And she is in South America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, ironically. Yes. Oh, look, uh, you kill me, Shauna. You're just so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. She f- tries to find the casino offices, which is no admittance, but she goes in anyway opens a door there's nothing there and then opens another door and they're playing poker she is stopped yeah. from entering by two bodyguards and he's you know saying well sorry you can't see Ron Sawyer without an appointment but of course he turns up behind her and her face when she sees him hates him she said I think we need to have a talk and he said I can't think of a better way to pass the time now they walk into his office and he offers her a scotch. And I can't really say a lot about this scene because I have a big scratch on my CD when it comes to this scene. So it does skip over. Okay. So you can talk to oh, me. Okay. About it. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, Sawyer is, I think, very calm, you know, to see a client show up that he has stolen money from. Um, he doesn't seem that thrown off. He doesn't seem that surprised. He doesn't seem all that bothered. You know, he's very like, oh, Madeline, you know. How wonderful to see you and, you know, and just kind of acting like he expected her to show up at some point, I suppose. So, yeah, I just wrote that he's so cavalier about everything. He kind of calls her out saying, 
I bet you thought he kind of, it's almost like what her dream was. I bet you thought you were going to come here. Tell me all the wrongs I've done to you. And you know, that I'd gladly hand back the money. I bet that's how you thought this was going to go. And she's kind of like deflated a bit because he is onto it. You know, it's, he kind of expected, you know, that, that this was going to happen at some point, but he feels, I guess, safe and secure in the fact that he's in another country and he's not going to be forced to give back the money or anything like that. I'm sure he knows the rules and regulations of the place he's, he's brought the money and set up shop. So yeah, he just doesn't seem all that bothered, you know, and he offers her a scotch. He offers her a cigar, you know, he's talking, you know, yeah, just so smug and she's just hating on him. And she points out that this was all built on her money. He says that it took a, uh, him a lot of hard work and, and or something like that to to get here. And she said, you know, yeah, my hard work. And he just says that he spent uh, many years making a lot of money for other people, you know, as a, a business accountant, and that he realized at some point that if he just moved the numbers from one column to another, that it all added up for him. So he just kind of justifies everything to himself, but he has a lot of affection for her. I mean, um, he said that she was always his favorite client. He says she's so beautiful. He seems to have a bit of a crush or um, she's a bit of a fantasy for him. But, you know, she's just disgusted by him and slaps him in true Maddie style. But she's just starting to realize that she's not going to get her money back. He has no intentions. He doesn't even feel bad about it. He's justified it all to himself. He's going to keep the money. But, you know, he's not kicking her out either. He tells his goons take her, give her a suite of rooms, as he says, which is kind of funny. Give her money to gamble with uh, anything she wants. Kind of infuriating, definitely. And yeah, basically she slaps him across the face and you know, he's not really that bothered about that either. Um, he kind of finds it amusing. His goons uh, walk her to the casino and into the restaurant. Okay. So this is the part that I, because it does scratch over a few bits, but what I do see is when he offers her scotch and offers her a cigar yeah. and he says, I never know because the women in France do. Um, yeah. You took everything I own. And he's like, no, I didn't. You've still got your mansion, your car. And I heard about you, how you had a go of the bogus detective agency. Um, that's right. And then that's when she said, no, it's my things, my stuff, my freedom. Yeah. Yeah. True. So she slaps him. He calls his henchman. He tells them to offer her chips, champagne, a suite of rooms. Yeah, you're right, the suite of rooms. What the hell is she going to do with a suite of rooms? Yeah, a suite of rooms. <laughs> it's crazy. One other thing that he says, too, is uh, that you made a go of that bogus detective agency. He said, I would never let you starve. So it was kind of like he was watching her from afar and keeping a little bit of tabs on her to make sure that she does land on her feet. Yeah. Cause he does have some affection for her, even though he did take all her money. Yeah. He doesn't want to yeah. street either. And yes, you're right. He's very calm and collected about the whole thing, probably because Argentina doesn't have an extradition law. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I'm sure he's well looked into the laws of where he was going and what he was oh. doing. Okay. So it was pleasure seeing you again, Maddie, or something like that. And she says, the pleasure was all yours, Ron. They escort her out, but I don't like, it's not like she's a criminal that's going to attack him. Why are they grabbing her by the arm? Like, leave her alone. Let her walk out yeah. the door. So yes. that's a bit nasty. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. anyway, so they escort her to the restaurant, and <laughs> I love this maitre d'. He's the best. <laughs> yeah. You know what? When I watch him, it's like, it's like he's just come out of Casablanca. 
right yeah the way he's talking and it's just that sort of visual and his voice it's like he's been in the castle I don't know why but anyway he does it very well this gentleman his name is Anthony Gordon and I cannot find a photo of this guy anywhere he was an actor known for Barton Fink in 1991 and Time After Time in 1979, Matt Houston in 1982, and unfortunately passed away in March 2006. But his career goes back to 74. He was in, um, he played Laurence Olivier in Marilyn, The Untold Story. Mm. He played Mr. Eddington in Quincy M.E., played the maitre d' in Moonlighting, uh, he was also in Maitre D in Highway to Heaven, and he was a wine steward in Hotel, the TV series, <laughs> and he was a Maitre D again in Barton Fink. I think he was a bit typecast, this poor guy. And would the lady care for some wine, perhaps? We have a lovely Marcel, 41. He, he had a look. Yeah. <laughs> he had that yeah. look. Well, that's right. He had a look, yes. He had two roles in Murder, She Wrote in 1989 to 92. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing he did was in 1999, he played a homeless guy in Diagnosis Murder, the episode Santa Claude. So that's Anthony Gordon. So Maddie is very huffy and sits down at the table and she knows exactly what she wants, just the most expensive thing. And the Dom 76, a Magnum. No, I think I'll have champagne. Dom Perignon 76 if you have it. A Magnum will do. She's just trying to pull as much money from Sawyer as she can, basically. No, the lady's expecting to christen a battleship. And is the lady expecting a dinner guest? No, the lady's expecting to christen a battleship. Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah. Is the lady expecting a dinner guest? No, the lady's expecting to christen the battleship. Something like that. With a big bottle of champagne. And she's sitting there brooding, um, thinking about what David said back at Blue Moon about, you know, yeah, things are tough all over, kid. It was a great way to introduce David as well by him not being able to pop the cork of the champagne bottle. And yeah, (laughs) David catches it. And seriously, he walks in like bogey. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, God, yeah. It's, 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 it's great. It's, I mean, him and his white tux, and yeah. It looks I mean, amazing. Hell of an entrance, huh? Yeah, you can say that again, Bruce. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, sure, <laughs> sure was. Yeah, how suave can you get? You know, I love it. It is such a Casablanca or um, like Love Boat at the time, or you know what I mean? One of these areas, like kind of the romantic lead shows up in just the right way, you know, at the right time. And I can imagine the frustration of Moonlighting fans because it would have gone straight to an ad break. Yes. Yes. And then he's there. And you know what the great thing is? You can just see, you can almost just feel from Maddie's point of view, like as soon as he's there, everything lifts, you know? Yeah. Um, he brings so much energy. And, you know, that's when the two of them on screen together is just so great. But it's like he's there and he's kind of even taking on the burden for her. He's really putting a safety net under her to catch her because she's been really deflated after her confrontation with Sawyer. But as soon as he comes in, there's the energy, the humor, the support. He's trying to perk her up with some smart-ass remarks. She said, where did you come from? And he said, I've well, never seen a Barbie and Ken doll before. Was <laughs> 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 this bird and this bee? No, everything is uh, definitely a very David sarcastic kind of humor, of course. But 
yeah, it's just so great to have them together again and you know, to have them in the scene. She's very bummed out, but he's doing his best to, to lift up her spirits for sure. Yeah, and I think in a way she's happy to see him because she's there by herself and, you know, at least now she's got some company. I find it really funny how David takes the champagne bottle off the maitre d', pours the glass yeah. and says, don't worry, I'm in the union. <laughs> what? Yeah, which is... I'm sure a throwback to his bartending days. You know, I think you had to be in a union to like pour the drinks and, and serve the people. Definitely like a, an homage to his former career. I'm in the union. And Maddie obviously can't believe he's there. And he says, touch me. You're right. If it's really love, it's worth waiting for. I need a drink. <laughs> it's worth waiting for. It's like you know? I need a drink. <laughs> yeah. What, too much blood in your alcohol system? <laughs> now, why does he ask yeah. for a no-spill mug? Yeah, I don't know. No-spill no mug, I guess. Does he think he's going to get drunk or something? He doesn't want to spill a champagne. Who knows? You know, David is always just... Who knows? Um, yeah. But also, I think the champagne looks flat. Oh, really? Yeah, the, there's like no bubbles, you know? It's, it's supposed to be this really good champagne that should have these little tiny bubbles, you know, floating through it. And when he's holding his champagne flute it just looks like really flat yeah probably cordial yeah but yeah you know the killer bees once you've seen one pair of killer bees you've seen them all and (laughs) you know all of his as she says yeah the topless beaches and she goes (laughs) she goes that's brazil (laughs) (laughs) i know so david Mm. wants to find out now he's wants to get to the bottom of it um so is it tears or tears She's mm-hmm. trying to play it down. No, it went quite well. I might have to get my lawyer to take over. How's the agency going? You know, and he's like, it's terrific. Oh, yeah. Terrifica. Oh, they're they're just having this nowhere conversation. Yeah. Couldn't be terrificer. Terrific. Yeah. They're just talking around what really needs to be said. She finally admits, she goes, you know what? You were right all along. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, don't say that. And he goes, no, all mm-hmm. right. You can say it one more time because <laughs> he likes to hear it that he was right. <laughs> I know, of course, of course, yes. But I think you're right. I think she is relieved that he's there in some way because she is really down. But he's about to help her lift her spirits. Of course, me. I want them to enjoy the dinner first. <laughs> oh, that annoys me every time. In in so many TV shows and movies, somebody will bring a, a meal out and they don't eat it and they walk off with something. I'm like, what? Yeah. Don't waste the food. Right. And it looked like they were having some kind of flaming dish. Yeah, and then he um, blows it out. Yeah, and then he's saying, um, can you wrap this up? You know, like this flaming food, which is kind of funny. And then um, I love the line where he says, put a rush on it. I've got the kids and the dog in the car. So they're kind of playing this <laughs> husband and wife family. Yeah, role. I think he's playing out his fantasy there. Yeah, I know, all of our fantasy. How cute would that be? It would be lovely. <laughs> so now he's saying, now I'm going to give you a lesson in economics. Who owns this casino? Sire. Who wins all the money people lose here? Sawyer. Who loses all the money people win here? Sawyer. 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 So they walk through the casino and she's like, no, we're not going to make any bets. You know, she's determined not to give Sawyer any more of her money because I hate that man. Now, in this scene when they're walking through the casino, she is clearly not wearing her heels. Hmm. (laughs) I'm telling you, if you're listening, Sybil... You walk different. (laughs) (laughs) How funny. 
Thank you for listening to Money Talks, Maddie Walks, Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.